Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. For hundreds of years, Spain has been sending missionaries to Venezuela. Well, today we're going to hear the story of a Venezuelan couple who was sent by God to Spain. Yeah, it was uh, about 2010 when we were still in Venezuela. Uh, the group of missionaries that were working and helping us to plant churches over there, uh, they hear about disciple-making movement and church-planting movement. And uh, that time, God kind of like was stirring up uh, the churches in Venezuela. And we have this challenge to multiply the churches that we have and we were planting just traditional churches among Venezuelans. And by God's grace, we have planned with the mission team and a few Venezuelans. We were 12 churches, but the challenge was to plan 120 in 10 years. And of course, there, was, there comes a why, how we do this. And uh, they come up uh, with this idea of disciple-making movements. And we started listening about that. And uh, first first time when we hear it, it was kind of hard to take it and start using it and applying to our own life. It kind of, I mean, it took like a couple of times that we went to the training to where we finally say like, okay, now we, my wife and I, my family, uh, we understand this and uh, we start doing it. And it just took time to take it from the missionary team to the national leaders and then to pass it along to all the, uh, like the nationals in, uh, in Venezuela being me one of those. So uh, we started doing a lot of trainings, training almost everybody in our churches, and then seeing how a few groups were starting here and there, how one or two churches came uh, just because of the, the preferred uh, DBS groups happening and how it, it was helping to the 12 churches. Uh, I think at least half of them just got it. And then they were planting not only one, but like two churches at the same time and see these new communities growing and, and multiplying uh, groups. So that kind of helped us to, to understand and embrace the idea of disciple-making movements. And uh, But God already have called us, uh, like in 2004, to come to Spain and serve him. So I think it was a good time for me and my wife uh, just to be prepared and learning about all the tools and the principles and learning. Because at that time, we, we were really involved in the church. We were planting a new church. Uh, we were teaching in a small seminar that we put together for raising leaders in Venezuela. We were doing mission trips to Cuba. We, we were serving God in any way we can. And of course, like being Bible coach, you know, I was just working uh, eight to, you know, eight to 10 hours every day. Then in the night, we would come and do ministry. So every time that I was reading, the Bible, I was doing, I was always thinking in somebody else. The sermon that I had to preach, uh, the, the next uh, man that was raising us a preacher, uh, the Bible study, the Bible group, the class on Saturdays. But I think the first and the best change that I have done because of uh, DMN tools and principles is like when I go to the Bible, it's about me. It's about my relationship with God. I didn't need to think about the next lesson or the next sermon that I have to preach. I was just going through doing my soaps and 
reading and asking God, what do you want from me? What, how can I share this? And of course, that affect all of our teachings, all of our uh, sermons, and because it started with us. And uh, kind of like ironically, that's one thing that we always tell like the new preachers: like you need to preach the message to yourself first. You need to be the first one applying all that you're preaching. And we try to do that hard, like in and in, in asking God for directions for the sermons and all that. But I think with the uh, obedience-based uh, principles, it just changed everything in the sense that we were, I was learning in first hand. And as I was leaving those things that I was uh that I was feeling God telling me to to live and obey, then I would not even preach, but just share how I was living the, the word of God. And, it just completely changed our ministry. How did the call come to to you and Barbara to move from Venezuela <laughs> to Spain? That was a funny story that involved my mom not being happy with me being a new believer. So my mom and my dad, they never got married. And he he lives in the Canary Islands, which is a part of Spain. And when I became a believer, I felt that like God was calling us and, and calling me. And at that time, uh, I started dating Barbara. And she sent me to spend Christmas with my dad in the Canary Islands, which for me was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to spend Christmas with my dad and see what happened. But when I got there, um, we spent a good, ha- good ha- holiday with him. And one day we were driving and he said, like, you know why you're here? I was like, spend Christmas with you in a year. Like, it's been a year since I saw you. And he's like, well, your mom is worried. And like, about what? It's like, well, you're reading the Bible now. And she felt like you joined a cult or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, no. So I started spending about our new faith, or my new faith. Uh, that was the first year that I came across, like a few months after. My dad had all these questions that I barely could answer. And... At some point, I told him, why don't we find a, a church and we go together and you can experience God? Because I come from a Catholic background and you know, I I can I went to a Catholic school so I can recite the, the mass. Like, oh, it's all in my head. Like, we, we went to mass every week and all that. So it's just like, now I'm experiencing God. Now I have a personal relationship with him. You need to experience this, that, like something that you're missing to. And all the questions that you have, it would be better for you to experience it in first hand. So my family, that my dad's family uh, side, they have always lived in the Canary Island in Tenerife. Uh, they have grown up there and roots there. So they were asking everybody in the town, like, have, do you know about any Christian church, about any evangelical church? And they were like, what? What's that type of church, like the Protestant church? We tried to put every name. There wasn't any in that in that town. We asked in the neighbor towns around, and nobody could, could point us to a church, and that broke my heart. I was like, how is it possible that there's no churches in this uh, place? And um, another, he, another thing that really uh, hit me is I was in my 20s, and... I was rock climbing, so my dad would take me to a climbing gym and go climbing with him. And uh, it was just how, how the youth, uh, like the people in the same age around me, they, they don't have any purpose. They were just living life, climbing, using drugs. And it's like 
Uh, so what about next week? What about a month and a year? Like, what's, why are you here? And there wasn't any purpose in them. So I went back to Venezuela with a cold. <laughs> More than uh, getting out of Christianity, I was thinking like, okay, let's go back to Spain and uh, try to uh, change that reality and plant churches. So that was even uh, six or seven years before we started learning about uh, the disciple-making movements. And and I was when the door opened for us to come to Spain, I was actually changing my uh, my work, uh, trying to get a better work for uh, my family, pro- provide for my family. And I was doing the black test uh, before the job and interviewed and all that. And I was reading T for T. And Gene uh, and Steve they used uh, Matthew uh, instead of the story from Luke. They used Matthew when he said that. The uh, Jesus saw the crowd and he felt compassion, and that compassion was what. Then he said, like he like for, asked for the Lord of the harvest of seeking some workers. And I always use Luke ten and thinking like, yeah, please God send workers, send workers. At some point, that prayer turned into send me, and now I'm reading in Matthew and it's kind of like, God, I'm ready and am I. Even thinking and feeling this compassion for Spanish because I was thinking in doing a master's degree in the Bible, uh, going to a college and all that. And and there was something in our heart that it didn't feel right. Like, what if we go to Spain and uh, two Spaniards die and we could be preach the gospel to them, but we would be starting a seminar for getting better, uh, better prepared or anything like that instead of be preaching to them. So I asked God and said, like, if what I'm feeling is this compassion, just tell me and I go. And right there, after I finished my prayer, I got an email from uh, a team, the team leader from working here in Spain and say, God, well, there is a church in Murcia, which is a city two hours away from where we live, that the pastor needs to go away for a year. Uh, would you consider come in here, serve with this church, help with the raising up the leadership team. And, you know, it would be a good idea for you to see the culture, see what happened, how's the ministry here in Spain. And then you can go back to the seminar because he he knew about our plans. But I was just praying, God, if this is what I feel, just show it to me. And I got this email with all the details about the church and what's happening. And all I can read is... uh, Sheep without a pastor. That's what I get from that email. So I sent it right away to my wife and told her, like, this is the door we're waiting. Uh, we just moved here. And that was 2013. It took us a couple of years. And uh, we arrived here in Spain 2015. We never went back to the Bible college. God provided a scholarship for us. and it, But we turned everything away. We just like, no, we're here. Uh, we know God is providing for us. This is the time for us to be here. And right away, we start bringing the DMM principles to the church that we were uh, working and supporting in that time, uh, raising and starting groups with families in the church, helping with the prison ministry and tell them how to do preferreds and how to tell the people inside the prison to uh, to be self-feeding, how they can read the Bible by themselves and not depend on somebody else. And, and that sparked a little bit more like that year, I think, there were like 16 baptisms in the prison ministry, and 
that was kind of like a record high for them because they haven't seen that many people being baptized. And it all started with one man that just started reading uh, the Bible and doing like kind of like the free columns Bible study. And every day when he was doing that, he would think, okay, I will share this with my salesman. I will share with this uh, person in the patio. I was and and that brought like a a new fresh air for that ministry, and and they were seeing fruits coming. We we met this man. Uh, his last name was Sevilla, kind of uh, one of the cities, and he was in a process where he was about to get out of jail. So he was in the reinsertion program. So he would come out of jail for a weekend every three months and come to church. So that's where we have the chance to train him. We would train him uh, how to read the Bible. At that time, we used the free columns, uh, kind of self-feeding tool. And he went back to jail to start doing that. And Sevilla would be sharing this with his cellmate. Uh, he was thinking, that's what I hear from God. I will send with my cellmate. And he would start uh, sharing all the stories with the people in the patio and as he walked and have time off. So when every... Three months when he came out of the, of the jail for the reinsertion program, we'll train him with a new tool and he will go and practice it. Uh, where we've seen more progress is in our own faith. And and this applies to everything we do with the prayer walking. I think starting with that, because prayer walking is hard. And we hear great stories about prayer walking and great results and miracles and all that. And here in Spain, prayer walking is hard. and they probably would notice because we probably work in small and rich villages. Uh, in Spain, there is about 8,150 towns, 7,500 of those that don't have any Christian church. They have a Catholic church or temple, but it's empty. But there's no evangelical church, none mm-hmm. of believers in all these towns. So that's where we pray walk most. We want to go to these places that are unreached. So sometimes these are villages, there are 500 people to 20,000 people, and they notice that we're not from there. Like, as soon as we're ride, driving our vehicles there, they notice, like, who are these persons? So uh, it's hard to pray walk. And the Spaniards in the Catholic Church here, they have taught that anything that is not Catholic is a cult. And so they will ask us directly, like, are you a Jehovah Witness? Are you part of a cult? Like, we don't trust you. And, so we insist in prayer walking because we know that the harvest is ready. We know that the person of peace are right there. We just need to find them. And we have learned to take no for answers, but even to turn those no into a maybe and just be bold about asking and uh, try to pray for people. So I think the first exercise of faith that we're doing every day is just like, let's go out and find this person of peace. Let's go and pray walk. God will do something after we pray walk in these villages. And it's, he's doing it. Sometimes it's through us. Uh, around where the city where we live, we pray walking 24 villages, 20, 24 villages. Now three of them, they have a church now. So we're, we're walk, pray walking in these towns. And we have seen that either through us or through the local churches, in some of the towns that we're pray walking, now there is a Bible study. So God is answering our prayers through somebody else. So now we go excited to the next town and see, okay, we want to see the same thing here. And this has been kind of like purifying our hearts, purifying our uh, expectations. Uh, 
how we just go and try to share the gospel. What is the, effect, the most effective way to preach to the Spaniards? How we can connect with them? How can we re relate to them? How we can ma make the message more kind of appealing today so they will sit down and try to hear because they know about Jesus. They know about Christ. They know about God because they have a Catholic background, but there is no hope. Uh, there is not understanding of the Holy Spirit living with them and the benefits, the things that they can have. So now we're thinking and processing all this. And now when we go to the towns, we're just like, let's just pray, uh, preach the message. Let's invite people to Bible studies. Let's ask God for miracles. Like if we want to see somebody here, let's just do it. And when we start prayer walking, we weren't like that. We are just trying to find and be nice and polite. Now we're like, uh, we have, I think, more courage uh, to go there and, and ask. So, uh, it's been a process of like, it's teaching us to keep going, keep going, keep going. So we, in this prayer walking in one of these little towns, uh, its, its name is Niva. It's just a town of 900 people. We have been prayer walking three months, I think after three months on, in that town. And one of my teammates, she saw this young guy on his bicycle, but he has a insulin pump. It's just drive through, go through really fast in his bike. But then after prayer walking, uh, we saw him uh, in the square of the town. He was kind of resting there. And my teammate, uh, Diana, she just come and asked him, is that an insulin pump? And from that simple, noticing that simple thing, he's just like, yes, it's, yes, it is. And then she started talking to him about it. Like, she had a friend that used one of those, just spark a simple conversation. And at the same time, one of my teammates just come with this really uh, bold attitude tell him, like, we're, really, we're here trying to find people who wants to read the Bible. Would you like to read the Bible with us? And this guy, he's just 18 years old. He's just sitting in his bag and says, like, you know what? I do. So, like, right away, like, an insulin pump turned into a spiritual conversation, into an invitation to start a group. And he started reading the Bible with us. He's been, uh, we have been doing a prefer with him. And he's a very influential guy in his town. Like, he knows all the little kids, all the younger generation in his town. So, he, little by little, started inviting them to the prefer group. So, it would be three or four of his friends. We start hearing how he start preaching to his friends, inviting, letting them know about what he's learning about Christ. Uh, the, the, I think the surprise of this story is like he still hasn't uh, confessed his faith. He hasn't come to Christ yet, but he's sharing with everybody. Uh, he asked us like, okay, I like the idea of the free prayer in my town. I understand that I'm respons responsible for sharing the, the the faith and make other disciples in my town. But I would like more like fellowship. Do you meet at some place? And we talked to him about, yeah, we have a, a house church in the town where we live, the opposite side of the city. And he's like, can I come? And we're thinking like, well, you know, all the models say like, keep the people in their silos, don't take it out of it. But we're noticing here in Spain that Spain is a culture also run about the family. So he's looking at us as his spiritual family. If we push him away, it might not be the right thing to do, even that he wants to keep doing the preparing his time and he's doing it. 
So he asked us if he can come to our church. And it's like, yeah, come. His dad started driving him and taking him to the church, but never put a step inside. Uh, to make the long story short, uh, long story short, now Javi and his dad has the same name, Javier. They're coming to the church. They're preaching to their family. They're preaching to their neighbors. The free fair in their town is led by them. Uh, whenever my teammates go there, it's kind of like everybody takes turn to lead. He's been asking to be training all the DMN principles. So he's just asking and knowing his responsibility and sharing with other people. So whenever we pray walk in a village, sometimes around him, he will come and jump in with us. But we are seeing how his faith is encouraging his dad to believe also. So we're just praying for them, for both of them to come to Christ at the same time. And we're asking like, okay, God, let the father come first so he can baptize his own son and, and know that this is their own faith, that they own this now. Last Sunday, we went in the church and uh, we're going through Matthew in our free thirds now. And we're thinking, and uh, Don Javier, he just said, and, and this just kind of marvels me because he's saying, like, why Jesus was only three, three months, uh, three years with his disciples and not longer? And he said, this is what I think. And he said, like, the reason why is that if he knew that he would be longer, everybody would look at him as an idol. Like, we need to follow Jesus. We need to, this is the man, like we need to be after him. But in three years, he will only plant the seed on his disciples so they can do it for the rest of the life. And that's what he's doing. And that's how we get to hear about the Bible. Like, that's how I hear about the Bible now, because another disciple come and told me, and now I want to read, kind of like live my life like that, just telling others about what God is doing. So we're just seeing this, uh, Believer, like he's coming to Christ, he's taking a step to get closer to Christ, understanding the great commission, commission so easily, so plain for him. He understands Jesus has started this. His disciples continue with, with that. It's just been like that for the last 2,000 years. That's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And he, all this to say that what we're asking God is that we, we have formed a, trying to form a coalition. And we have called this coalition Coalition 1700. Uh, everybody says that it takes around 100 groups to see a disciple making movement happening. There is 17 regions of Spain, so we're asking God to raise 1700 groups, 100 groups in each of the 17 regions of Spain in the next 10 years. So this all began by prayer. Uh, we start uh, praying with this, and it was just me and my one of my teammates. Then we heard about uh, a team in Barcelona uh, with the same idea or the same uh, desire to go to the places that they don't have any church. And we kind of reach out to them and start talking about this and start praying. And last year, we kind of tried to get together about like, just learn, get to know each other, uh, see where we can work, how we can continue to push forward. And uh, it was my friend Julio from Barcelona after one time of prayer, he said, like, you know, I feel like this, I feel from God that the idea of the coalition is no longer an idea. It's something that has just born out of our prayer. Let's seek that. 
So now we were pursuing this, and this is what we trust in her uh, God that in the next ten years, he will, will he will rise uh, seventeen movements in Spain, one in each region. Well, thanks for listening, and if you're enjoying the Movements Podcast, don't forget to leave a review and give us a shout-out on social media. It would really help. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.